Well, a couple of weeks ago, we got uh, into the second chapter of uh, Philippians, and we noticed that the primary purpose of the church is to lift up the gospel of Jesus. And then Paul gave us how to live a proper life. Now I want to, to turn to an interesting passage that when, if you weren't preaching through a book like I'm trying to do more or less right now, you would probably skip it, <laughs> a passage like this. Because it's almost like in modern phrasing, it's, hey, I'm going to send Bob and and Fred to you, and they're going to come help you, and things are going to go well, and they're going to travel, and it may get difficult, and it may be hard, but they're on their way. It's kind of a paraphrase, and you kind of go, why in the world did Paul put that in the letter? I think there's a reason behind that. Some of us might be tempted to pass over these verses as travel information, but what I see in this passage I think is something that's very important to us even in our churches today, in our church today, is the idea of working together in the kingdoms, uh, kingdom of God and in the work of God. I see in this passage how the church of the living God is intended to be. The ecclesia, the word we learned earlier this year, the called out ones, ones who are called out, who choose to work together with their unique gifts, their unique talents, their unique interests, their unique abilities to accomplish what God has for us as a congregation, a group gathered together right here. Because we cannot live merely dependent lives. We cannot live merely independent lives. We really have to live interdependent lives because we need each other. And there's five things I want you to see in this passage, so we'll jump into this and go pretty quickly, but I want you to see these five things because I think they apply to us even in this day and age and in our time and setting. The first thing I want you to notice is this, working together reveals different roles. Look at the verse in uh, verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So coming on the heels of this grand language that we looked at last week in verse 18 and this idea of, of God working and moving and, and, and us lifting up the gospel of Christ and all these things, it kind of becomes like a, whoa, let's change attention. I'm going to send Timothy to you. Okay, where did Timothy come from? Where was he in the story? Well, Paul, have you got ADD? You just jump from story to story to story. What's going on? Did the squirrel run through the room and change your attention? I mean, it's like, boom, it's a shift here. But the purpose, I think, here is, is very clear as we work through it because his, his purpose is to illustrate the working of God in the world. You know, it's, it's amazing that God uses people like um, us, isn't it? You know, you know with me? I mean... We all know who we are. You know, we all know our flaws. We know our failings. We know our issues. We know our struggles. We know our sins that we still have to battle with, right? And yet, God uses us. Wow. This is the way it was in the Old Testament. This is the way it was in the New Testament. This is the way it is today. So as Paul is sitting there confined in prison, he shares a desire that says this, I'm going to send Timothy back to you at Philippi so he can encourage you to remain faithful. Now, who was Timothy? Let me remind you who he was. He was a young man that Paul had encountered way back in what is today southern Turkey uh, at a church that was founded there as Paul preached the gospel and people heard the gospel and people came to know Christ. Uh, and, and when 
Paul left, Timothy said, I'd like to go with you. I'd like to serve on the team. I'd like to be a part of your work. So Timothy, this young man, leaves home and heads west and ends up in a, a place called Macedonia, which happened to have a town called Philippi. And so Timothy was there when the church was started, when Lydia and her, sal- her family came to salvation, when the Philipp- Philippian jailer came to, to Christ. And yet it's here we begin to see the diversity of roles in the kingdom because Timothy was in town where Paul was in prison. He was out there with him. He was supporting him. He was encouraging him. But Paul says I, he would be better off to come to you. Why? Because he's concerned for your welfare. Because... I want you to be cheered of the good news once again. Now, I don't believe Timothy was coming as a pastor, not at this point. Timothy did become a, a pastor slash bishop eventually, and he had a couple of letters written to him. You may have read them, First Timothy and Second Timothy along the way. But his job was to be not a pastor or an apostle or to come and lead the church. His job was to come and be an encourager. You know people like that, encouragers in life? to go where God has them, and they go and they encourage others in the process of doing what God's called them to do. And that brings me to this thought. Every Christ follower has a unique role that we're called to fill. Called to fill. Every one of us who have answered the call of God, and if that's you, we're talking to you today, you have been given at least one spiritual gift, if not two or three. You've got at least one. And and while this message is not centered on spiritual gifts, the amazing truth is spiritual gifts are indeed revealed in the pages of Scripture. It shows up right here. And what I find fascinating about these gifts is this. Nobody got all of them. Nobody could say, I've got all the gifts. You know why you don't get all the gifts? Because then you wouldn't need anybody else. But you've got at least one. And if we're going to be the most effective we can be as the, as the church of God, as the people of God, as we're going to work together, it means that every one of us has to step up to our, our place and our service and our role and fill it as best we can. We need each other. Paul needed Timothy to bring a word of encouragement. The church at Philippi needed him to come and encourage them. We need each other to be complete and whole because not one of us has everything we have, well, everything we need to be the whole body of Christ by ourselves. I love when people say, well, I don't need to go to church. I've got it all. I've got to tell you, no, you don't. I need the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ to complete you, to bring to your life all the other gifts that need to come to bear in your existence. You can't do it alone. We need each other. I think that's why Paul told the Corinthians this about gifts. He said, all these gifts, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You might say, well, I didn't get the gift I wanted. I can tell you this, you got the gift God needed you to have. And that's okay because that's the best one you needed. So we need to value and honor each other and vice versa. We can't be complete by ourselves. We need to walk together. And I can't do it alone, and we need to accept that. So working together reveals different roles. Second, working together requires a servant heart. Look what Paul says about young Timothy in verse 20. For I have no one like him 
who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How did they know that? Because he was there when the church started. He's not an unknown to them. He's a known to them. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I believe working together takes a servant heart. We know from Acts that Timothy was the son of a Jewish mom and a Roman dad. His grandmother had been a, a follower of God as well, and he had grown up with the great role models of what it means to fear and follow God. So when he heard the gospel message for the first time, when he heard that Messiah had been revealed, it changed his life. Because all of the stories of the Old Testament all of a sudden began to make sense, and they came together in the process. He says, ah, it's Jesus. And he trusted Christ and started following him. And he joined the team of Paul's ministry and began to travel and to share the gospel. And it seems that his special gift was compassion, concern for others. These people have this gift, bring a, a level of heart and care that others may lack. It doesn't mean they don't try. They just don't have that gift. In addition, Timothy functioned as a son to Paul in the ministry. He says, he works with me. He's, 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 a, he's a team member. He wants Timothy to bring this compassion to the church. And this brings me to this thought. Look at this. Every, uh, excuse me, effective service to the Lord calls us to live how? As a servant. Oh, wait a second. I don't like the idea of servants. I want others to serve me. I want to be the one that is determining what others do. I don't want to be the one that's being told what to do. Many of us are comfortable with roles where we get to do our own thing, and we love the notion of doing what we want to do, but consider the role of our Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. What did he do? He emptied himself of his glory. He was born as a human. He lived among people. He died a cruel death on the cross before rising the third day. We read very plainly in Mark's gospel the life that Jesus lived. Listen to this. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. I love the way the ESV accurately translate that, even though it's a, a powerful word in our culture that we sometimes recoil at. But the idea is that we have to be slaves. We have to be submitted to, subjected to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He's our role model. We're supposed to be servants, supposed to live as he does. It comes to a point where we say, I will be a servant. I will submit. My will not, your will not mine. I am second, not first. Because when we push our personal agendas and our preferences, we show a lack of being a servant. And when we seek our own will, we surely find ourselves far from God's purposes in life. So working together reveals different roles. It requires servant hearts. Third, working together rests on mutual care. Now, we've got another guy who shows up in the story. He's got an interesting name we're going to dig into in just a second. But look at verse 24. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. That got a job description, didn't he? He had a list. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, I think the third aspect of working together is centered on the idea of mutual care. Not you care for me or I care for you, but we care for each other. 
Paul introduces a character here that would have been very familiar to the church at Philippi. We'll find out later in the letter that he had a job that he had just completed and he had made a journey. But let's talk about his name first, Epaphroditus. You know, we don't name our kids Epaphroditus anymore. That's a shame, isn't it? Do you know what that name means? You're going, hmm, take off the EP, that means with, and you got Aphroditus. Aphrodite is a Greek god, or goddess, let me rephrase that, um, that is the god of um, sexual love and beauty. Now, step back, you go, wait a second, (laughs) this guy made the Bible with a weird name. Yeah, he did. I love it. Because God saved that guy, apparently, out of a pagan background and brought him into a relationship with God through his dear, beloved son, Jesus. And now he's serving in the kingdom of God. Isn't, isn't it amazing God can take somebody from that background and do something with him? Aren't you glad? But here he is. What's he doing wherever Paul is? How do they know him? Well, we find out in the last part of the book that he's actually a member of the church at Philippi. He had been sent on a journey from the church at Philippi to fulfill a need in their life that they wanted to help Paul who had a need in his life. And so he had apparently delivered some kind of gift. I I tend to think it was a financial gift. The, The prison system of the ancient world, the government didn't provide for your needs. Your people on the outside provided for your needs on the inside. And if you had no people on the outside, good luck. He brought resources to help Paul as he was in jail. And in his journey over there, he got so sick, he almost died, as we'll read later in the book. And he almost uh, just disappeared from the world at that point because he would have been dead. And and here, Paul looks at this and goes, okay, I know y'all have been concerned about him, but I'm going to send him back to you. Why? He, because he's, a, he's, your bro, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's your messenger. He's ministered to my need, and he's been longing for you. And he's been distressed because you heard he was ill. I think what Paul does here, he reveals an aspect that we need to rekindle in our Christian experience, and it's this, that we have mutual care for each other. The man had literally risked his life, literally risked his life to deliver a gift on behalf of the church, his church, and to care for the needs of the one whom God had used to bring the gospel to them. Now he's going to return home, and he's going to bring a letter with him, which so happens to be the letter we're studying, the book of Philippians for the church at Philippi. Here's the thought I want you to catch. As we serve the Lord in our unique way, we express care for each other. I hope you're catching a theme here this morning because there is one here. One of the truly amazing things about the kingdom of God is the vast diversity of people who are part of it. Everyone is not the same. You can say that again, right? Everyone's not the same. But here's the good news. We all get to serve the same Lord from our giftedness and our uniqueness and our abilities. And so we're able to express care in a lot of different ways. Let me tell you, some people are great at writing cards and letters, and some others, eh, not so much. Some are great at uh, times of distress. They walk into a moment, they just bring this, 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 this calming effect and this presence. And some others, man, you go, hey, can you wait a few minutes before you come in? 
some are good at that, what I call the ministry of presence. You know what I mean by that? Where they just come and sit with you at the hospital for hours on end. And some, man, they're, they're lousy at it. You know, I mean, 10 minutes, they got to get out of the room. It, it, but here's the reality. The big picture is this. All of us are parts of the fellowship, come together in that process, and we form an effective church for the kingdom of God. You don't have to do it all. I don't have to do it all. Once I discovered that years ago, I mean, my life was so much easier to deal with. I used to run myself ragged trying to do everything. And in the process, I was robbing others of their gift of doing what God has for them. The big picture is we are all parts of the fellowship. We come together and form an effective church. That's why I think Paul told the church at Ephesus, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way in him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined together, held together in every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As each of us functions as God intends us to function, something amazing happens. His presence shows up. And together we make a difference that we could never do on our own, showing mutual care for each other. And then number four, working together does have a high cost. These two kind of dovetail together. I almost put them together for the sake of time, but I felt like we needed to focus on the high cost side separate. So look at verse 27. Indeed, we're still talking about Epaphroditus. He was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Did you notice he didn't say not anxious? He says less anxious. I find that fascinating. But working together rests on this mutual care. But there's a side of this equation we don't need to overlook. At times, working together for the sake of the gospel has a very high cost. It's expensive following Jesus sometimes. Consider the example Paul gave of Epaphroditus. When Paul mentions sending him to the church at Philippi, he used a Greek word that's a very unique Greek word, but it carries the idea of a gamble. Now, Paul wasn't gambling, and they weren't stopping at the casino, okay, and they weren't going to the boats. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, me sending him back to you is dangerous. He almost died coming there. Travel in the ancient world was not the easiest thing in the world. It was not as reliable as it is today. And so Paul reminds the church at Philippi of the high potential cost of their man. But, he, but through it all, Paul saw the mercy of God. Why? Because he had traveled to Philippi. He had gotten sick, but he'd recovered. Now he's going to bring the message back. He's going to bring a letter back. He's going to share with them. And add to that the potential struggles of Epaphroditus and Paul's struggles. And this, He says, so following Jesus is tough work. In fact, Paul, according to church history, would be crucified upside down. High cost. Leads me to the thought, following Jesus has a high cost for each of us. When you say, well, if it's expensive, I don't want to do it. In our culture, we have been blessed to find following Jesus to be relatively easy. Following Jesus is, is not a high cost in our culture, not yet anyway. You be a Christian and the people go, oh, well, it's okay, don't worry about it. It used to be if you were a Christian, you were considered something better. 
Oh, they're part of the church. They're something better. They're great. Being a member of First Baptist, woo, they're somebody. I've got to tell you something. That doesn't carry the cachet it used to. No longer does following Jesus necessarily serve to enhance our reputation, our business reputation, our social standing. In many ways, what's happening is we're becoming more and more like first century followers of Jesus who are going to have to learn to count the cost of following him. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me tell you, carrying a cross is not easy work. You say, well, I can't have a family? No, you can. I don't have possession? Yes, you can. I can't have a career? Of course you can. But it means that Jesus takes central place in everything we do. He says, I want to be number one, not just one of the list. Because I'm convinced, listen, that following Jesus, though it has a high cost, the cost of not following Jesus is even higher. A life not centered to Jesus, surrendered to Jesus, carries the burden of being opposed to the things of God. A life not centered on Jesus brings a destination just as sure as heaven, but surely not as pleasant as heaven. May we be a people who count the cost of following him. So working together reveals different roles, requires a servant heart, rests on mutual care, reckons a high cost, but it also results in celebration. Verse 29, Paul pivots back to the stories of the two followers uh, uh, gathered uh, to, to talk about the people gathered at the church of Philippi. He says to them, he gives an instruction, here's what I want you to do. When, 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 when Epaphroditus and Timothy show up, have a party. You go, what? Have a party. Look at it. Verse 29, so receive him how? In the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He he tells them when Epaphroditus shows up, get excited. Have a fellowship. Worship the king let me paraphrase it. He calls on them to celebrate him, his return, honoring him as one who's been faithful to serve in the kingdom of God. It seems that what had happened is kind of fascinating. We're going to fill it out in a few weeks when we get to the last part of the book. But, but Paul was in prison, and so Epaphroditus had, had done something that was interesting. He had, the, the phrase is, completed, uh, complete what was lacking in your service to me. You're going, wait a second, so the church was messed up. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, not all of you could travel to be here with me, so you sent him in your behalf. And he came for you. He filled your lack of able to serve and to care for. So he was their messenger. He was their delivery boy. He was their friend. And as he comes back, Paul says, celebrate. Your son's home. He served God. He served his church. He was involved in the kingdom's work. Let's celebrate that. Let's lift that up. For as each of us listen to, listen, and, and answer the call of God, we too will celebrate the work of God in our lives and to praise the Lord. That's the one thought I want to give you before we finish. We need to choose to value each other, each and every person, and their role in the kingdom. You know, at times, we're tempted to say, oh, well, that person is more important in the kingdom of God. 
well, he's a pastor or he's a deacon or, or she can sing a solo or he could teach a Sunday school class. Oh, they're amazing, aren't they? All I do is work in the kitchen or all I do is mop a floor or all I do is show up occasionally. Let me remind you, there is not one role able to be done in, in the service of God without the presence of God. You know, I've, I've heard amazing solos sung without the presence of Jesus. I've experienced teachers and preachers, preachers who were amazing communicators, but they didn't reflect the presence of God. I've even encountered missionaries who served clear around the world who didn't have a lot of Christ in them. I'm not trying to be judgmental. Don't hear me saying that. But when as a follower of Jesus, we truly serve God through the called ministry that we've been given, we ought to celebrate the work. We ought to lift that up. We ought to treasure that. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he spoke about the need to be connected. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. First church I ever served was down in Temple, Texas, Heights Baptist. And I'd grown up in a First Baptist, um, large church. And I came on staff as that church as minister of youth. Uh, that was in uh, the late 1800s, I think it was, when I started there. It sure seems like it was that long ago at this point. But on the front of their bulletin, they had a thing that listed... Uh, if I remember this, they had the, the it called the administers were the pastor and the minister of music and the youth minister. And they put my name on there. But below that, it said all the ministers of the church were all members. I thought that was an interesting thought. I never encountered that before. But that's so true, isn't it? You, whatever you do within the kingdom of God, you are a minister in the kingdom of God. You are a minister of the gospel. You have a place of service and ministry. So we need to lift each other up. We need to celebrate that. We need to, to, to value our place of service and our ministry. And don't look at those who are different from you and say, oh, well, they're not as important as me. No, they're just different than you. God has a place of service for you. And I would ask you, the entry to that service is not joining a church. It's meeting Jesus. Coming to the place where you trust Christ, where you surrender your heart to him. Have you done that? We'd love to talk with you uh, here at the invitation time about how to do that. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you need to share a decision that God's made to help you make in your life. We want to help you do that too. But we want to give you just a few moments to respond to God as he's leading you today. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to sing praises to your name, to worship you, to be with each other. Father, help us learn to value each other and the service that you have for us in the kingdom of God. Father, there is not one role more important than the other. There is not one place of service of more value than the other. They're just different. Father, help us to see that truth and to treasure each other and lift each other up in that process.
Father, we pray for those who need to make some type of decision public today. We ask you to give them the faith to do that, to take the step they need to, to declare their faith publicly, to become part of this fellowship officially, or, Father, to renew their connection to you personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. You respond as God leads.